Well, good morning, welcome. Uh, it is uh, good to be together as always. Uh, great to have such a large uh, crowd here this morning, so many friends and family. And we've got kids with us this morning, which is really fun uh, to have a family service to worship uh, together this morning. My name is Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here. And I do hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you were able to celebrate um, and be thankful for all that you have with friends and family members. Some of us, uh, that comes really easily this time of year to be uh, grateful and thankful for what we have. Um, but we want to acknowledge, too, for some, uh, this can be a, a difficult time of the year. The holidays can highlight and even amplify um, a really wide range of emotions, right? Um, many of us are grieving recent loss, or there's uncertainty or loneliness that just makes the holidays a really tough, uh, difficult time. And so before we open God's word together, we're going to pray and ask for his help uh, like we always do, but uh, also join in praying with me for those who are just, uh, for whom this is just a uniquely tough time of the year. Um, so let's pray uh, together this morning. Father, we are truly grateful, thankful for so many gifts of grace that we know come from you. All good things come from your hand. Uh, thank you for the work in building this, ch this church, this community uh, of people. God, thank you for this place uh, where we can gather together as, uh, as a people to worship. Um, thank you for your ever-present care uh, for us. And I ask that you would be near to those who feel, um, just uniquely feel grief and loneliness and hurt uh, this time of the year. You know the hurts, the regrets, the brokenness. God, all the burdens that we walk into this room with, God, and we entrust those to your care, uh, to your wise and loving care. And we're also thankful for your word, which has all that we need um, for teaching, for training, for correction, uh, God, for right living. And so I, I pray that you would equip us this morning by the power of your spirit to obey your word to place our hope uh, in you and what will truly satisfy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, today marks the first Sunday of Advent, the time on the church calendar, um, when we, we sharpen our focus uh, on God's coming into the world uh, through the birth of Jesus. We have the, the Advent wreath, this candle is lit for the first Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of hope. Um, this is Christmas time in the church, and not just in the church, right, folks? It is here. Christmas time is upon us, which the kids, can I get, can I get some excitement from the kids? Christmas is almost here, right? Um, and you can't go anywhere without uh, encountering it, right? For some of you, like, you're just holding on for dear life this time of the year. Um, the holiday spirit might be a little too much. Others of you started celebrating Christmas like two months ago, like you're ready, you're ready to go. But the sights, the smells, uh, the sounds of Christmas are everywhere. everywhere. Uh, I know I, for one, personally, I've jumped headfirst into my Christmas music collection, and I won't come up for air until December 26th, which is how it works. I, that's all I want to listen to uh, this time of year. Age-old carols um, it, done in a thousand different ways, right? Mannheim Steamroller, Amy Grant, that's my, I mean, that's my childhood right there, Amy Grant Christmas. I love it. Beth hates it. She hates it, but it, it is Christmas to me. Uh, Mariah Carey, I don't care. I want all of it. Like, give me all of the Christmas music. Uh, I want those songs stuck in my head for a solid month for this upcoming December, except uh, Little Drummer Boy. I do not want that song in my head. Nobody wants that song in their head. 
Of course, we'll be singing some of these songs, some of the, not, all, not all of those songs, but some of them together as a gathered church over the next, uh, during this Advent season. But we're also going to dive headfirst into the songbook of the Bible, the Psalms. The songs that will sustain us, that have sustained God's people for thousands of years, Jesus included, especially Jesus. He loved the Psalms, the songbook of the Bible. So over the next five weeks, we're going to trace the historic themes of Advent through the Psalms. The songs of hope, songs of peace, of love, and of joy. These are the songs that we need stuck in our heads, so to speak, during Advent. The songs that can sustain us during this season, and Lord knows, like many of us need some extra sustaining during this time of the year, but even beyond. And this morning, the first day of Advent, we're going to explore the wonderful and hard uh, theme of hope in the richness of Psalm 33. Now, here's the thing about the themes of, of Advent, of hope, of peace, of love, of joy. Um, they can be kind of peddled this time of year like sentimental greeting cards. I mean, I don't, if you, you cannot walk three steps into a Hobby Lobby right now without being buried by plaques and plates and pillows with these words all over them, right? And look, I have nothing against virtuous home decor. We've ha we have it in our house. It makes for a cozy place. But we do need to be honest about these things. Hope and peace and love and joy, they feel nice and warm and cozy and inspiring. But sometimes when we need them the most, when the chips are down and we need these things in our life, they can seem hollow and empty. Because without real substance underneath them, without, real sub, without something real to hope, hope in, without real solid peace, or whatever it is, they can't support the weight of reality around us. Many of you feel that today. You feel that acutely, right? You felt it on Thursday when your son or your spouse or uh, your brother wasn't at Thanksgiving for the first time. You feel it when you see headline after headline after headline in the world. You feel it right now in the midst of maybe a marriage that's sort of limping along. Or in your bones because the chronic pain just won't go away. Or you feel it when you fall back into that, that habit, that sinful habit that you just can't seem to get over. Right? If we're honest, hope, hope is a really fragile thing. We can make it out to be this warm, inspiring a Christmassy virtue, but really it, it ebbs and flows. It has peaks and valleys. Some days and months and years we have it. It's there. We can see the hope for a better future, and others we don't. So our question for this morning is this, not just this morning, uh, throughout this Advent season and beyond, how can, we, how can we hope in a hopeless world? How can we hope where can we find sturdy and, and stable and sure hope in a hopeless world? Hope that can support the weight of reality around us. And the answer, in part, is found in the songs. The songs that sustain us. And not just, friends, not just in the way, not just what the psalms say themselves, the content of the psalms. So that's obviously important for the object of our hope. We'll get to that in a minute in Psalm 33. The psalms should produce hope, not just in what they say, but in how we use them and how the psalms are used. You can think of the psalms as like a church, 
a church hymnal, right? Remember church hymnals? Some of you uh, lament that we don't use church hymnals here. Kids, do you know what a church hymnal is? Any of the kids know, here, any kids here know what a church hymnal is? Maybe not, because uh, we don't use them here. But they're a songbook, right? You know what a songbook is. You open it up, you can, re- you can read together, sing the songs. And when, when and where do you use a hymnal? Right, in gathered worship. Now you can use it in your own personal worship. That's, that's good. Um, there's a place for that. But that's not the primary purpose of a, hymn, of a songbook. Hymnals are a shared experience. And the same is true with the psalms. Now, again, you can and you should engage the psalms in your own personal worship. There's something very good about that. But they are meant, they are meant for the gathering of God's people. And so if we're looking to the Psalms for hope in a hopeless world, then hope is first a deeply collective, communal, corporate reality. We need each other for hope. We need each other. We need this community. We need to come together every week and renew our hope for another week to come. And if we're doing anything at all here on Sunday mornings, uh, it is reminding one another that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Right? That's, what we, that's why we gather uh, together every week in part to encourage one another to anchor our hope in God. And that's exactly what Psalm 33 is about. We, ha- we just had the, the end of the psalm read where it says, it finishes even as we hope in you. This psalm, which is a song of praise, we'll get to that in a minute, but this psalm builds to a place of, of God's people joining together in a collective hope in their God. And this is the song that we need stuck in our head if we're going to hope in a hopeless world. So let's get to it. Turn to Psalm 33 if you have a Bible. Uh, the, the scripture will also be uh, on the screen throughout as we go through. But we just started kind of at the end, but we're going to go back to the beginning, verses 1 through 3. Uh, this is really a call to worship, uh, a call to praise. So here, here's Psalm 33, verses 1 through 3. It says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. It's fitting. It's fitting for the upright to praise. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Good. Hey, I love it. We're practicing already. That's great. The psalmist begins with a call to praise, right? To shout for joy, to give thanks to God with music and singing and creativity. It's what we do here on a Sunday morning, right? Because it's fitting for God's people to praise him. And kids, you get this from the start, right? Kids, you understand. Can I get a shout from the kids? A shout for joy, one, two, three, shout. Ah, oh, see, <laughs> I knew that was going to fall flat. I'm going to give you another chance at some point during, throughout the service. But we need you, kids, we need you in our services to learn how to shout for joy to the Lord. But still, it's an interesting place to start a song of hope, right? Are you feeling hopeless this morning? Praise God. (laughs) It's an interesting place to start. We usually think of praising God when things are going well, when circumstances in life call for it, right? When we feel like praising. And we should certainly do that, right? We we should. But when, when you hear the call to praise, don't think emotion or feeling or something exclusively internal like that that's based on the world around you and how things are going. Like you need to be happy to praise God. No, praise is something we do as God's people, not because of who we are and how we feel and how the world, how things around us are going, but because of who God is and what he does, what he's done in the past, what he's doing now, and what he's promised to do in the future. 
So this call at the top to shout for joy in the Lord is not a call to feel happy, which some of you need to hear this morning. Because some of you just can't. It's hard. Praise is hard. It comes, diff- it comes with, with pain. You're struggling to praise God this morning because the holidays are too hard or the pain is too deep or whatever. I mean, fill in the blank, whatever it is. And that's okay. Like we've already said, you're not supposed to kind of just check your stuff at the door when you walk in here and act like everything's fine. Like, the, like, like we don't live in a hopeless world. That's, n- that's not what gathered worship it's about, is about. And that's where the collective nature of this songbook comes in. Some of you need others to sing over, over you. Some of you need others to sing these, so- these, these words for you. And that's why we do this, because we need each other. These are the songs that will sustain us. And our hope is renewed as we sing songs together about who God is and what he's done and what he's going to do. So as we work through this song of praise, because that's what it is, it's a a hymn of praise that builds to a place of collective hope. We'll, We'll find solid ground in three places. First, we can hope in God's unfailing word. We can hope in God's unfailing word. Let's keep reading uh, verse 4. It says, for the word, so praise, shout for joy, you, God's people. It's fitting for you to praise for because the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast, the loyal, the never-ending love of the Lord. So why should we shout for joy? Why should we, should we sing and praise? Not because everything around us is going well. Not because the world offers us reason to hope, but because our God's word is sure. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of verse 4. He says, for God's word is solid to the core. Everything he makes is sound inside and out. We can praise, we, we can find hope because God's word is solid and sound. It is sturdy. It won't lead you astray. It can bear any weight. It means he never breaks a promise. Right? He always does the right thing at the right time for the right reason. Kids, do you think you can trust a God that always tells the truth? Can you trust someone who always tells the truth? Because that's who our God is. And that same word that will, that will never be broken, that is sound and sturdy, is the same word that made the world and holds it all together. Look at verse 6. This is where the psalmist continues. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and, the breath, and by the breath of his mouth all the host. He gathers the waters together in a heap, which is just an amazing image to, to think about. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts, them, it, he puts the deeps in storehouses. The psalmist here, he echoes the creation account in a poetic way. But there's more to God being creator than just beholding him as as powerful. This this certainly is a picture of a powerful God. But God, as creator of all things, it it doesn't just mean that he's powerful. It means he is completely above and and beyond all things. His, His existence and actions are not determined or influenced or controlled by anything outside of himself. There's nothing behind God pushing him. Nothing above God controlling him. Nothing beside God advising him. Nothing beneath God compelling him. 
Nothing stands in authority over God, and everything in creation bows in awe before him. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke with a word it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So let's put it all together, right? God's word is solid to the core. He never breaks a promise. When he speaks, galaxies are formed. Uh, He's shooting you straight. Nothing, he he makes galaxies from nothing. Oceans are gathered in a bucket. (laughs) And all of creation bends before him in awe. This is our God, the one that we can shout for joy with praise. And the one in whom we can place our hope. We can hope in his unfailing word. It's a song that we need this morning. Second, we can hope in his unfailing plans. We can hope in his unfailing plans. In the midst of social and cultural and national and international political turmoil, right? God has a plan. Look at verses 10 and 11. So the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Now, we've covered a lot of this ground, actually, in our Daniel series, right? That God, that God is in control, that he's in control of who's in control, right? He has a plan that we can trust. We can rest in the fact that God, ha- that God has a plan that will stand, even if it's hard to see, even if it's not the way that we would do it ourselves. Our future is secure in the certain plan of God. But it's worth clarifying here just that what biblical hope is in, the, in, in future plans, right? It's, it's different than some cultural counterfeits that we often try to put out as hope. So two distinctions. First, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Uh, it's not just wishing for a better future someday, something that's not grounded in reality, like the guy who says, I hope the chiefs and this isn't necessarily that it's not grounded in reality. I just realized I wrote that the wrong way. Like the Chiefs will win the Super Bowl. I hope the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. That may be grounded in reality, I hope. Uh, right? or, or, or a girl who says, I hope I get a dollhouse for Christmas. Right? I, hope, I hope these things happen. Right? Or wishful thinking. Um, it may have some grounding in reality, but that's, that is not hope. Second, biblical hope is not positive thinking. Now, positive thinking, it has, it's nice and it has a place, but it's not biblical hope. Let me illustrate uh, the difference with a story from, from history. I first read uh, this in, in uh, Good to Great, a book uh, by Jim Collins, um, where Admiral Jim Stockdale, he, he was a prisoner of war for eight years during the Vietnam War, and he was, he was eventually rescued. Um, and in an interview for the book, Collins asked Stockdale, who didn't make it out? So who, who didn't make it out uh, after being in prison for this whole time? And he says, oh, that's easy, the optimists. The optimists were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And they'd say, well, we're going to be out by Easter. Like, we'll, we'll make it out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving. And then it would be Christmas again. And he says, and they died of a broken heart. Hope is not saying blindly, everything is going to be all right. Like, it's going to be fine in the end. It'll work out. No, hope is grounded. Biblical hope is something that is grounded, and we can't confuse biblical hope in God's unfailing plan with the untethered optimism of positive thinking that denies brutal truth, brutal realities around us, that we live in a hopeless world. Because it's one thing to say you are hoping for something. That's wishful, positive 
thinking, like hoping for the perfect Christmas gift or that someday things are going to start looking up. It's an entirely different thing, a different matter to say you are hoping in something, in God, in the God of the universe and in his unfailing plans for history. We don't just hope for a better future out there someday. We hope in a God who has promised to be with us to the end, who who has promised to make all things right, to restore all things and make all things new. We need that solid ground for hope because life uh, doesn't always go the way we think it will. But we must be careful. The psalmist continues. We must be careful to, to, to hope in God, right? God must be the one in which the person in which we place our hope. Look at verses 16 and 17. It says, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. There are false hopes that will ultimately fail. The psalmist talks here about military might, political strength. That may or may not be uh, what you walked in this morning hoping in. But there are other false hopes. And let me, let me just share one of mine. Uh, something from the past that still kind of tempts me today. Um, it took Beth and I a little bit longer to get pregnant than we thought it would take. And than we expected. Not as long as some people that we know. But, uh, but longer than we would have liked I wouldn't say we were hopeless, but it was, it was certainly hard. And then it happened by the grace of God. Um, Beth was pregnant. We were going to have a child. Um, we were elated, right? God had answered the prayers of many, not just our own prayers, but the prayers of many. But within that week, um, almost as soon as it came, that joy turned to sorrow uh, in the heartbreak of a miscarriage. And we were devastated. Uh, I mean, I, I just couldn't have been prepared for that pain. Didn't know. I, I knew it, w- it would be hard. I know others who have walked through it, but I just didn't know what we were up against there. And I'll just speak for myself here because I, I can't even pretend to speak for Beth. But a huge part of my heartbreak was exactly what is being talked about here in verse 17. False hope. It's like God was showing me, to, to, I guess, to rewrite verse 17. The gift of children is a false hope for salvation and even in its great joy and wonder and beauty, it cannot rescue. God in his merciful providence and in the middle of deep and confusing pain was redirecting my hope. Because look, I had placed my hope in that. And man, when, those, when, that, when that the thing in which you place your hope is shattered, What do you have left? But hope in God and is his, and is in his plan, and now you have something sturdy, something solid, a song that can sustain you through the dark seasons of life. If you place your hope in children or a job or a spouse or whatever it is, it will fail you. Are you placing your hope in God and in in his unfailing plan, or in something else? What song, what song is stuck in your head? What song runs through your head? Is it a song of hope in false things, or is it a song of hope in God himself? 
And don't miss uh, verses 13 and 14. God doesn't just have a grand plan for history. Or it's not just that you can trust in him. He's kind of out there. He set it in motion. No, he, he also cares for you. He sees you and he knows the deepest desires of your heart. And he cares about the details of your life. We can hope in his unfailing word and his unfailing plans. But all of that builds toward the end of this psalm, the crescendo at the end, which is this, we can hope in God's unfailing love. We can hope in his love. Look down to verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast, his loyal, his never-ending love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So we've seen that God is great, right? He created the he created the universe with a word his word is powerful enough to fill the earth and his plans will always work but the psalmist shows us here that he's also good this entire psalm crescendos to this loyal promise keeping never ending love and it's this love that that enables us to hope in him in the midst of trouble in the midst of heartache of loss and tragedy even if what you're going through feels like famine and death His loyal love can never be lost, never exhausted. Kids and adults alike, listen, we can hope in a hopeless world because of this simple truth that I learned when I was four, that God loves you. The maker of the universe, the judge of the nations, the all-powerful, all-wise God of the universe, he loves. He loves us. He loves you. That's why the psalmist, he finishes with this. He says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him. Because we trust in his holy name. And it says, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. And again, Eugene Peterson nails this at the end. He says, love us, God, with all you've got. That's what we're depending on. Is that not it right there at the end? Love us, God. That's a plea of a hopeless people. Love us because that's all we have. We're depending on that. And look, maybe you don't feel like waiting any longer. You don't feel very glad. You feel the hopelessness of life in this world. You feel the sting of death this morning. You know the shame of giving in to the temptation again, right, with no way out. You're in a job that's chipping away at you. Your role as a caregiver is overwhelming. Your finances are are choking the life out of you and your marriage. I know these things are true because I know they exist in this room right now. Life at times and in waves, it feels hopeless. But listen, God loves you. And he has loved us with all he's got. Right, that's, what, that's what we're celebrating with Advent, right? God left his place in heaven and entered into a, a hopeless world, just as we sang, how deep the Father's love for us that he should send his only son. Advent, God coming to earth, that's how we can hope in a hopeless world. Because, friends, our problems are actually worse than the terrible list of troubles that I just listed. We're all hopelessly lost without this God. We are all in need of rescue from sin and death. 
But the best news in all the world is that God has come to rescue us. God has, he has entered into the world to restore it, to redeem all the brokenness. He has come to be our salvation because he loves us. And he didn't just come, he didn't just enter in, but he came and he died so that we can draw near to him. And we need, we need to remember God's loyal love this morning and, and throughout this season. So we want to do something special together as a church. I think all of our campuses are doing this, but you'll notice there's a note card on your chair. As a way to fight for hope now in the midst of a hopeless world, we want to get these songs that sustain us stuck in our head, stuck in our hearts. And we want to do that through memorizing scripture together. It's a discipline that has been practiced throughout the centuries that helps us hope in a hopeless world. So we want to be intentional about letting these songs saturate our minds and hearts through memorization. So you'll see on there Psalm 33, 20 through 22, the end of this psalm, what Rowan read for us. Now, there's not going to be a quiz or a test or anything, right, on these things. But I do hope that you'll take these psalms and, and store them deep uh, into your heart and minds this Advent. Because remember, these psalms, these were the same songs that Jesus memorized and sang throughout his life. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer has said, Jesus died on the cross with the words from the psalms on his lips. He loved these songs. What a beautiful and powerful way to celebrate the advent of Jesus by storing in our heart the very songs he sang. Because we need these songs in our head, just like, just like I, I let Christmas songs just, I, I let them get stuck in my head all season because I love them. We need these songs to declare that Jesus is our only hope. We need them in our head this season. The God who is sovereign over all of creation and over all of history has entered into this world to rescue us and restore all things. That is the best reason to have hope in all the world. Love us, God, with all you've got. That's what we're depending on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you don't leave us in a hopeless place. That because you love us, you entered in. You entered into the mess. And not just to be near us, but, but actually to die for us so that we can be near to you. God, thank you that that is the truth that we celebrate this Christmas season during Advent as we wait with expectation and celebrate your coming. We, we celebrate your coming the first time and we wait with expectant hearts for you to return, to come again. I pray that all, everything that we walked in here with, we, we wouldn't just leave it at the door, but that we, we would entrust it to you as the one whose word is sure, whose plans are certain, and whose love is deep and abounding. We can hope in you, God. Thank you that that is true. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one way we remember that every week, remember these truths, that we can hope in a hopeless world is by practicing communion together, by coming to the communion table. Um, right? That we, we say in those moments, I, I am hopeless without this Savior. I needed someone to break their body and to shed their blood 
for my salvation. That's what, we, that's what we say together as a community when we gather around the table. And we practice here at Christ Community open communion. So especially those visiting with us, you don't have to be a member of this church to partake, but we do ask that you be a follower of Jesus uh, if you come to the table. So we have two tables in the back. This one has gluten-free if you need that. But gather in groups of four to six. Take the bread, dip it in the cup, and then partake uh, at the instruction of your leader uh, at the table. But whenever you're ready, please come to the table.